0: Welcome to the podcast, M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects, so without wasting any more time, Let's get this podcast underway. Hey,
1: Toby, great to see you again. Yes. Yeah, good to return with a whole bunch of new podcasts after our hiatus there, Rob. Yeah, and, and we've sort of talked
0: about taking a slightly different stance because in the past what we've done is taken a particular acquisition tip and talked That's about right. whether it's good, bad, indifferent or whatever. Yeah, And what we've got to do now is, is start to get slightly broader and look at some of the different aspects of M&A. Indeed. Uh, and, and I think
1: one of the things we both were talking about was, well, when, when did it all start? Indeed. We called M&A. It's fascinating, really, Rob, because, I mean, as you say, let's take a bigger, big, big picture view. Everything has to have a beginning, and let's get back to the beginning for M&A. And this sets the way for future podcasts, where we'll talk more about this extraordinary corporate discipline that we know is uh, mergers and acquisitions, and one that you and I have been intimately involved in for the last 20, 30-odd years. But there's always a beginning. And let me uh, do a bit of a preamble here, Rob. I mean, I think what I find interesting is that he would say in the beginning, but where are we right now? Is that like we've just had Microsoft complete a $69 billion acquisition of Activision? Yeah. the largest technology deal, I think, that's ever been made. But I know that there's some massive deals. We had the Vodafone Mansman deal in, yeah. what is it, over 20 years? Ago? $200 billion. Yeah. And then we had some other ones that were going into the stratosphere, like AOL Time Warner, had the Verizon Vodafone deal, the Glaxo and Smith Pine Beach and merger, Yeah, you know, massive deals. And the fascinating thing is, just to give you a size of just how big, well, how big an industry this is, Rob, since 2000, what was that, for the last 24 years, there have been yep. nearly a million transactions done grief. worldwide with a value of nearly sixty trillion U.S. dollars. Good grief! This is massive. This is absolutely yep. massive. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, and you're right. And some of those that you've just rattled off—they come straight to people's minds. Mm. And actually, if you go back to where this all began, yeah, this thing called M&A as such, the first time that it was really recognized as a term Mm. was when the East India company merged with a competitor uh, in order to protect its business and the competitor's business. Indeed. indeed. And the Dutch East India company was first recognized as a formal company way back in 1602. Mm. Right. The, merger with one of its competitors was almost, well, it was 100 years later in 1708 okay. that took place. And if you go forward another 100 years from there to 1800, mm. London has already at that time become a major center of corporate finance for companies around the world looking to innovate, merge, mm. acquire, and so on. So in the space of, 200 years, from 1708 to the 1800s, the term M&A and the practice has become well-established and well-known as the indeed. G- generic mechanism for buying and selling businesses. Indeed, indeed. Right. And since then, that generic term, and everybody now, you say M&A and everybody goes, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, exactly. But as um, you say,
1: that term got sort of understood or coined what is it now, back in the early 1900s? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And since then,
0: there's been a number of waves that have taken place that you could sort of point to as patterns of how this M&A
1: has evolved. Yeah, you're right, Rob. And this whole thing about waves, and I think anybody who reads about the history of M&A will, will actually understand that this is a, a common understanding as how Emergence and acquisition occurred in history through a number of waves, and each one of those waves got bigger and bigger by simply the fact that the value and the size of these deals was getting bigger and bigger, along with the overall global economy was getting bigger and bigger. And let's think about these waves. I think we're going to count about seven. But let's kick off with the first wave. And the first wave was was obviously seen in the United States, and that's where it really all happened. And that's when we started seeing a lot of companies coming together to create what one can only describe as monopolies. And there were monopolies in oil, and there are monopolies in mining, and there are monopolies in, in steel industry. And this is how it came. And we had these massive organizations who monopolized a certain industry. Now, classic one would be uh, Standard Oil or Esso. Yeah. Back at the turn of the century, they became a, a massively horizontally integrated business then you had the United States Steel Corporation and then International Harvester Corporation. All of these in their respective industries, creating massive monopolies. Very true. But you can imagine what can happen there, Rob. Monopolies well, is not a good thing. I mean, but it, that's that was happening at that time. Well, and that's interesting
0: because, uh, as you say, those monopolies wield enormous, unfair market power. Uh, correct. Correct. And and I think. What started to happen, and this again is in the late 1800s, early 1900s period, Mm, is legal factors started to come in, where governments and jurisdictions sort of said, no, 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 we can't allow Mm, one organisation to dominate this marketplace in such a way that they basically influence how everybody else Mm. behaves and lives. But actually, it took a while for those things to start to play out. Because what then happened, I would call it wave two, Hmm. is started to form. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And what I mean by that is that you take a company like Standard Oil or International Harvester, and along comes big bad government and says, no, 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 you can't dominate this industry. We're going to put rules and regulations in place. Hmm. Right. So they simply went out and created an environment where a few companies dominated the industry.
1: Yeah, indeed. They kind of went from horizontal to vertical integration. So, in other words, they expanded into oil refining, retailing, marketing, their operations. Correct.
0: Yeah. And whilst it did have an impact on pricing being more fairly balanced, mm. it was still the few that dominated the entire global business. Mm. And, of course, behind the scenes, those oligopolies got together mm. and essentially created what we would today call cartels. Cartels, yeah, uh, indeed. And, of course, the, the, the thing was that the, the legal system was always one step behind those. Indeed, indeed. For, for a indeed. point in time. Um, and you could almost see that happening all the way through and until we get to sort of pre- or post-World War I. Hmm. And and then we get into wave three, I think, which...
1: Yeah, post-World War Two, you you meant. Yeah, I I know what you mean, Rob. And I I think it's interesting because as we see this sort of monopolies through to oligopolies, we also see the rise of the regulator. Like, as always, when things happening in in markets, the the regulator, the the government has to catch up and start playing a key role here to make sure that we move to a more perfect competition where it's free and fair as opposed to one that's being um, unfairly in the few, hands of the few. So after the Second World War, and I think we're talking about the 50s and 60s, we have this sort of like wave three coming on. And that's where we see the rise of the conglomerates and so these large companies that start emerging. And I think there's no better example, I always think, I don't know about you, Rob, we have a perfect example of a conglomerate. I just think of a company like General Electric, they were, they're right across the board. They, they were in so many industries, but they were a massive conglomerate of, of companies all through acquisition who built through into a single brand, GE, yep. and came to be a, an incredible power yeah, economically speaking that allowed them to diversify into new markets and new revenue streams and, and so on and so forth. So that, that was wave three. Have you got anything else to say about wave three, like the rise of conglomerates? No,
0: only that I'd agree with you. And companies like GKN were another one that became a conglomerate. And yeah. these were companies that spread out from their core activity That's into right. similar types of activity. They, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, you get a company like Esso. What's their job? They, they, they dig oil out the ground. Yeah. Before too long, they're sitting there going, hey, let's refine it as well. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Then they go, yeah. hang on a minute, we can create fuel stations and actually. Yeah. Dominate the retail end of it,
1: and if you remember, like General Electric, they're into everything. Oh yeah, they, they went into yeah. retail appliances like refrigerators. They're also into aircraft engines. They're also in God knows what. They're across
0: everything. <laughs> they're basically sitting down and going, "We could build stuff. Let's see yeah. what we could build
1: next." Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What was that famous CEO of GE? Uh, GE? Oh, Hello. Jack Welsh. Jack Welsh. That's right. Yeah, guys. I've got his book right in front of me. Uh, Have you? You. <laughs> yeah, it's a really
0: good read. Actually, it's called okay. Straight
1: from the Gut. All right. Okay. Um, really good read. So we're moving along here as so a fast-paced sort of bring yeah. up to today. But let's get let's no. wave four, uh, Rob. What well, happened? What's wave four about? Back in the day
0: when I were a lad, <laughs> and I was we're going uh, back a number of
1: days here, aren't we, Rob?
0: And I was absolutely green and starting my career in yeah. corporate life and being yeah. introduced to this weird and wonderful thing called M and A. Yeah. Was the early seventies and eighties, and mm. of course, a lot of people refer to that as the period of corporate raiders, mm. right? And basically, these were uh, opportunistic people right, mm. who would essentially aggressively acquire businesses. So, it was, it was where the term "hostile takeover" came from, yeah, uh, and, yes. and, and, and in many cases, asset strip those
1: businesses that's exactly the point is that they they saw the opportunity for companies to buy them to strip them to assets, and then resell them which is really a yeah. classic thing that private yep. equity does but it all happened in that time period there are some famous industrial i'm trying to think of a well-known british industrialist who who did uh, this well yeah there's one that what's the one i'm thinking of i know uh, i know my brain's just gone dead as uh, well looking him up because he comes to mind was quite famous at the time Used to is, find the Concorde all the time. Is it yeah. a big name? Man. Never mind. It'll come back. But at that period of time, yeah, it was almost a
0: ten-year time period where yeah. hostile takeovers was the thing. A number of big corporate bulldogs, if you want to call them that, got a really yeah. bad reputation because of the way they went about things. Yeah. Uh, to some extent the the environment created that reed I... Uh, approach, mm. All right? And, and and certainly my first early experiences with the good old Tompkins Group, oh, yeah. Rick Hutchins. Oh, yeah, he was most definitely a corporate raider.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, now, now it comes to me, by the that, that person I was talking about It was Lord Hanson. That's it. Thank you. Because <laughs> yeah. actually, here's here's some, here's some useless knowledge. Okay, good.
0: So, Hanson Trust, yeah. Lord Hanson yeah. was created when. Lord Hanson left university, and a wealthy member of his family gave him a million pounds mm. uh, to launch himself in business. And he went along with a friend of his from university, mm. right. and the two of them bought a business. They then sold that business, and with the proceeds, they bought two businesses. Mm-hmm. They then grew those two businesses, sold one, and used the process to buy two more, and that's what they kept doing. Yes. So they kept adding to that portfolio of businesses that they were buying from that initial million pounds of seed funding, if you want to call it that. The friend that he left university with was Greg Hutchins. Right. And Greg Hutchins, they had a bit of a... Shake up and a bit of an argument, mm. and Greg Hutchins took his toys and went off and created a Tomkins Group. Right, okay, and that—that that was my one of my early involvements. So, right, okay, so there's a connection with Lord Hanson then. Yeah, uh, Rob, for yourself. Yeah, so that's that's where those two came in, and right. I actually got involved with Greg Hutchins when he took over Yale Group. The people that make security locks. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah. So there you go. Useless. Well, anyway, well, no, but very, but interesting, But you <laughs> were there in the scene. You, you, we, we both were aware of it. I mean, it was big stuff at the time. I remember these industrialists. There's another famous one. Was it Goldsmith? Yeah, it was quite um, a few. James Goldsmith, who's yep. the son uh, yep. father of uh, Jemima Goldsmith. But, yeah, anyway, lots of them. Anyway, let's get on to the next wave. Sorry. That's, that's wave four. Yeah. Uh, the Raiders, people like Lord Hanson and so. And then you had, I think, it was the time, we're going into the 90s now, which is when we had the mega deals. And I think the common theme was just get bigger, get the economies of scale. And this is where the conglomerates were just got even bigger then. So you like GE just got bigger and bigger. And that bigger was better and bigger was more profitable because you just got the economies of scale. And so you had those mega deals in the 90s. And by the way, when we started off this podcast, we rattled off a few of those big mega deals. I think the Daimler Chrysler, Chrysler. that that, that was one of those mega deals. It was about that sort of time period. Yeah, they were. And what I will say is that that
0: sort of almost fused into what I'll call Wave 6. Yeah. Because what I I saw about Wave 5 was that, as you say, bigger was better.
1: Yeah. But the deals became more multinational. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So this so, is where we started so, doing cross-border type deals. Indeed. Correct. Yeah,
0: they yeah. Did. Companies in the US started buying companies in Europe and, mm. and things like that. So, mm. geography wasn't the boundary anymore. Mm. And the reason why I say it fused into what I call Wave 6, which is globalization, mm. Mm. when organizations realized that they could actually have operations all over the world. Indeed, indeed. So, it it was sort of driven a little bit by efficiencies and economies of
1: scale and things like that it was also driven Rob by the fact we had private equity funds so you had these funds like the teachers fund in Canada yep. we yep. got our superation funds here in Australia Wanting you to got, invest and then you got private equity funds they're basically looking for where can we put this money and where we can invest so private equity in itself became big in that time yeah one what, what of the one of the deals that I, well, not deals, or the, the, if you like, the
0: strategies mm. around globalization that I sort of was on the edge of was Johnson & Johnson. Right. And part of their global strategy was to yep. be able to have operations all over the world so that mm. they could service global markets. Yep. But what they set out to do was to make each location a center of excellence for a specific product range. Mm -hmm. So the entire global volume of a particular product might be manufactured in South America.
1: Indeed, indeed,
0: yeah. And the entire global volume for another product might be
1: manufactured in Thailand. Funny, Rob, when I'm uh, sort of like having my uh, shower, which I had a shower early on, just before I had yeah. one, after my bike ride, just because we had this, I was having a look at the shampoo bottle, see where the shampoo came from. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. <yeah>, of course. <laughs> and, well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And I look at this up. And it comes from, I don't know, Europe, Germany, or, or there's stuff well, that comes from China, well, or there's stuff well, that comes from New Zealand, and I think, well, there you go, man. I, I could tell you, because
0: manufacturing is one of my core areas, and I've spent a lot of time inside manufacturing plants, mm. when you take a product like shampoo, pet food, anything else that's used on a global scale, you'll find that it's produced in massive volumes, and then... Three quarters of the way down the manufacturing line, you'll have thousands of bottles of shampoo, to use your example, mm, right? And all that happens is a label gets put on it, and that label is printed for the country that that batch is destined for. So it'll mm, be in mm-hmm, French mm-hmm. or Spanish.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And 10,000 bottles later, the, the label simply gets switched over to Italian. And 10,000 bottles <laughs> after that, the label continues.
1: It's exactly the same product. Yeah. yeah. The only difference is the labeling. Well, anyway, Rob, this is the naughties we're talking about. We're well and yep. truly used to this whole notion of globalization brought about through mergers and acquisitions. It just goes to show just how critical the MA process is in creating our oh. economy that we live in right now. But I think we, let's bring ourselves to today, and I call it growth. Yep. And essentially, it's, now companies looking for all the things we said, they're still looking for economies of scale, they're looking for globalization. But we've got another dimension now coming along, and that is that the companies are now repositioning themselves by now they're saying, well, look, we've got all these assets, all these divisions, all these companies. Let's start divesting some and then acquire others. And they're always honing in, changing their business model, changing their value proposition, changing their capabilities but also looking for ways to transform what they do. And it's all about um growth. And that includes not just saving, like through economies of scale, but also looking for new revenue. So it's a lot more sophisticated type of M&A than the M&A we've seen in the past, because the deals are more sophisticated. The process is more sophisticated. The integration is more sophisticated because we're dealing with complex transactions because they're Multiple products or multiple mm. ways of looking to gain synergies. And as a result, the actual MA process is more sophisticated. I would add another le- level to that as well. Um, and I've said this several times
0: before in today's environment, it's impossible for any company to be able to grow purely by organic means.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right if you're a CEO of a company and it doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are, mm. acquisition has got to be one of the tools in your toolbox mm, indeed,
1: indeed. in order to drive growth. I the don't business. think in can avoid it, Rob, can you? I mean, it has to be. But I think I, you're right. It's not something it was not something familiar with, but I think organizations now, they're, they're very well, familiar with the M&A process.
0: Well, there was this horrible thing called COVID came along. Yeah, yeah. And it forced a lot of companies to sit down and sort of go, oh, hang on a minute. We need to take stock of what's happening here. Mm. And so whereas previously companies would be in the news for acquiring another business, mm. a lot of companies also started looking more scientifically at the business and saying, well, okay, what's our core? Yeah. Where's our focus? Mm. What parts of the business don't we need? Mm, right? mm, mm. And, that's become a cyclical process in mm. most corporate planning now mm. is to, to
1: put, put the business under the microscope and say which bits are good for yeah, us. Yeah, it's interesting. So, how strategic thinking, the way we manage yes. the yeah. other has become a lot more sophisticated than the, the, the rather than the gung ho type attitude of the past. Absolutely. Um, I think you've just said it. It's become a much more strategic and much more
0: laser focused type yeah, strategy. Yeah. Over the course of the last five to seven years, let's say. Yeah. Right?
1: And it's where we are now. So, Rob, we've gone through a very brief, a potted history of M&A, like where it started. and You mentioned that we go back to the 1600s with the India Company, which I think is about when this whole notion of M&A, and then it got more sophisticated as London became a a centre for corporate finance and a place for raising capital. And then we had these ways, which is mostly sort of initiated in America. We had the monopolies back in the turn of the century to oligopolies. Then we had moved to conglomerates in the 50s to 60s. Then we had our raiders, like our Lord Hanson, which is talking about in the 70s and 80s. Then the deals got big in the 90s, got bigger and bigger in the noughties with globalization. Yes. And then we've got this sort of new type of growth type, now, more sophisticated m and these days. But Rob, I suppose the question for you then is like, here we are now, where do you see the future of M&A? Where where do you see the next big waves of M&A? What's the eighth wave or the ninth wave? (laughs) If you got your crystal ball there? There's a number of things happening
0: around the world that are going to shape the future and they are no longer about companies and consolidation and things like that. So we've got, a massive energy crisis uh mm. globally, right yeah. Australia's a great example. We cannot rely on brown coal now uh, for producing our energy needs. So innovation in energy is a big factor that's going to drive a future wave of acquisition and consolidation. You don't look too far beyond that. you've got the environmental impact of various mm. things. Mm. And it's different now in the sense we talked earlier about when M&A first started, the regulators, and the government sort of followed one step behind. It's actually almost turned around 100% now because governments and regulators are starting to say, no, we need to have cleaner environments. We need to have Indeed, more you care of the, the environment.
1: Legislation, etc." I know. And you're right. Yeah. And the, the companies so it's almost proceeding.
0: Yeah. It's preceding the companies are then adapting to that and going, oh, well, okay, we can make some money from this process by putting our innovative hat on and producing mm-hmm. products and services, capabilities yeah. that service those. And then, yeah. of course, you've got major technology, which right now it reminds me of all the days when ERP software mm-hmm. came out. Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knew how to spell ERP, but nobody could tell you what the hell it did. Yeah. And AI comes off people's lips now like part of the normal language. Mm. But it's still in its very infancy. So, where AI is. Very true.
1: It is is very. Imagine its infancy. And indeed, Rob, we're going to talk about this in the future, aren't we, about artificial intelligence? I think we're going to devote quite some time because it is such an interesting topic. So, it's things like that. It's the environment. It's the energy crisis. It's a,
0: a growing population. It's the food crisis, all of which are. Preempting companies to sit down and go, oh, hang on a minute, we need to do something about this, and we yeah. can. Yeah, and then it's technologies like artificial intelligence, data mining, mm. yeah, and all of these sort of things that are going to revolutionise the way we
1: go about business. Well, it's interesting, Rob, and we're going to talk about these these topics again because I think we're just sort of briefly introducing now, but let's make a note that we're going to go ahead and revisit these. But I think it's interesting, maybe if I can just summarize what we've just discussed. And I think yeah. what we wanted to do in this podcast was really just for Rob and I just to discuss about M&A, how it all started. We just mentioned it, it was back at the East India Company back in the 1600s. And we went through this whole idea of waves that happened predominantly in the United States, but then became a global phenomenon. All these waves, wide up till to today, which is more sophisticated making, more sophisticated M&A transactionally, but also the way we integrate companies as well. And then we've got this whole idea of these future waves, And as you mentioned, Rob, we're going to see an artificial intelligence wave coming along. It's already gathering its pace. And, of course, the environment. We have to change. We have to adapt. And M&A is going to be a means by which we do that. So it would be interesting to watch this space in the next few years as it gathers a pace. So that's the podcast. And I think maybe if I can just give a shout out as to what the next podcast is going to be about. Now we've gone into the beginning and we've discussed it. I think it'd be a great idea, Rob, just to talk about who people are actually involved in this. Who are the <laughs> players in M&A? Who are yeah. these people? Who yeah. are they and what they do? So let's. So for everybody listening, stay tuned for the next podcast, all the world's a stage and the players in m and
0: Wonderful. I think that's a good wrap and a good point to close this one off, Toby. Great conversation as always. We will be back as usual, with another podcast before you've got time to blink. (laughs) And and until then, it's uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from myself as well.